This is episode three of three of the Paul Whalen interview. Can I tell you a joke? Yeah. So dropping a load in the britches reminded me of this joke. It's Bob Einstein joke. You know, Evil Dave? So he says he was out drinking with his buddies one night, and he's putting them down. And the buddy says, come on, one more. And he goes, no, no, no. If, if I drink too much and I go home, my wife will kill me. The guy says, it's just one more. Don't worry about it. He goes, I'm telling you, if I go home, if I'm drunk, I'm dead. He says, one more. He goes, fine. So he takes a drink. That was it. It was too much. He throws up all over his shirt. He's like, my wife's going to kill me. What am I going to do? And his friend says, listen, I'm going to put a $10 bill in your shirt pocket. And when you get home, when your wife asks you what happened, you say, somebody else threw up on my shirt and they gave me $10 to get it dry clean. He says, that's brilliant. Thanks a lot. He goes, oh, let's keep drinking now that I've, you know, I've already crossed that point. Night goes on. The guy goes home, walks in his house. Honey, I'm home. The wife comes out of the bedroom and looks down into the foyer and she goes, Are you kidding me? I told you if you did this again, we're through. And look at you. Vomit all over your shirt. He goes, No, 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 no. You understand. Someone threw up on my shirt and they gave me this $10 to get a dry clean. He pulls the, the money out of his pocket. She goes, That's a 20. He goes, Yeah, well, he shit my pants also. <laughs> Now I'm going to tell you something, Brian. I told that joke to somebody yesterday. <laughs> no, I am not didn't. kidding. No, no you I didn't. swear to God. No, you didn't. I swear to God. I told somebody <laughs> that joke yesterday. I told it to them yesterday. How did I do on that the delivery? same joke? Oh, yeah, but th- there's not one ten in there. There are two. Oh, I forgot. He shit my pants too. <laughs> he shit my pants. And then I talked about. I told it to my buddy David Cardwell, and I was telling him about sugars. Used to be one of my accounts at the radio station. Uh-huh. Great account. They spent a considerable amount of money as with a strip us. club. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I had to talk our general manager into allowing these commercials on Case 101, which a lot of women listen. And I said, Ron, I came in with two $100 bills. I said, can you tell the difference between these two bills? He said, well, this one has white powder on it. I said, no. no, no. <laughs> I said, no. One of these bills is from Sugars, and the other is from the bank. Can you tell the difference? He says, no. I said, their money's just as green as anybody else's. He says, what are you trying to imply? You want sugars on cake? I said, Ron, first of all, everybody already knows what sugars is. Mm -hmm. All we have to do is remind them that it's there. So we never talk about the women. All we talk about is lunch. That is all we'll ever talk about. $6.99 steak and lobster or steak and shrimp lunch. And he allowed that account on the air. And that's how I did it. But the point is that if you pick something apart, you can get what you want and you can help somebody else get what they want by giving them information that they couldn't have gotten anywhere else but from you, that you have a better plan for their success than their own. Once you convince someone beyond a shadow of a doubt that your plan is better than theirs, that's when they open their mind and their wallet and they say, you are my creative Mm go-to. You're the creative person I go to. How do you think Rick Rubin pulled that off? Mm Mm-hmm. But people trust him. You've heard them. You saw the interview. Mm -hmm. People trust me. What's next for you? What's your vision right now that you're writing out? In August, I'll be 68 years old. I have been doing... August what? I'm August August 25th. Okay, I'm August 10th. Yeah. So you're older than I. (laughs) uh, I'll be 68, and I think that I have learned that I don't want to travel as much. 
Mm-hmm. What I'd prefer to do is stay active and still keep a handful of radio, television, whatever, communication companies, and work on finishing a couple of more books. Mm. I've got another book in my head that would be more targeted toward sales. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I would like to write a novel. Cool. And the reason I want to do that is because I haven't done it. And when I write books, they're based on fact and experience. With a novel, you have to make up everything. You have to make up all the characters. You have to make up the location. You have to make everything up. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a way to do that. So I lived in Prague for a couple of years. The reason we got our flat in Vinohrady, which means vineyard for the castle, Mm-hmm. And that's the neighborhood we were in, about a 10 to 15 minute walk to the center of Prague, the old town. And the Czech movers who came over, these guys are crazy. What they do is they strip down to their underwear. What? And they, they don't wear boxer shorts. They wear the little Tiny uh, speedo type. <laughs> you know, I'm the only guy playing squash in Prague <laughs> wearing boxer shorts at the gym. Everybody else is wearing this marble bag, and they're looking at me like... <laughs> anyway, the reason we got the flat was because the previous occupant, who was an American, died hmm. in the bathtub. He was the guy that set up the Czech commodities market. He had a Russian partner, and most of the Americans and Brits and people from other countries, because Prague was full of experts after the country came out of communism, you know, the, the capitalized world were there to teach them new ways to do things. So all the experts are there. And so there was quite a big community of expatriates, and everybody thought Michael had been murdered. Ooh by his Russian business partner who disappeared right after Michael died in the tub. And I'm starting the novel this way, that there is a fly. And it's a hot day in the Czech Republic, and the windows are open a little bit. And the fly comes in with his hundreds of eyes, and he goes into this very nice, opulent, old uh, flat. And then he flies into the bathroom, and he's resting on the faucet when suddenly he sees the object of his affection lands on the nose of the corpse in the bathtub. (laughs) And and I think that's how I'm going to start the book. And then I get to introduce some characters that I've been developing in my head. Well, the bottom line is, think like an ad man, sell like a madman. Anyone interested in dominating in sales or advertising, not only in the corporate world uh, as an individual contributor or a sales manager or somebody who's starting out their own business or has a small business or any size business, has to read the book. The book is amazing. Uh, And it's more than just being somebody who can communicate. The tricks that you teach in the book are perfectly said, and they're ultra-intuitive, and they're visionary in a way of getting to the point to make a sale. Thank you. There's something I was going to point out also. When someone says something to you, like, you're too expensive, what I learned to do is a process called mirroring, where I'm not going to assume that I know what they mean by too expensive, because that can mean anything. And I've seen people in sales just immediately say, oh, I can give you a 30% discount. Mm-hmm. Or you could use mirroring where I say, Brian, when you say too expensive, you mean, and then I shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. And I wait for you to tell me what you mean by too expensive. And maybe we're only off by a couple of bucks. 
But then I can make a different offer. I can take something away. It's very important to me is to understand precisely where you come from and where you got your idea that this is what I want to say in my commercial or this is how I decide what my budget is based on a number literally pulled out of your rear end. Yeah, right. And the book does a perfect job of explaining Thank you. It's a short explanation, but it makes sense. And we're simply using a business's gross margin, not net profit, but gross margin of profit, and then average sale. And by using those two numbers, I can come up with something that looks a lot more like a good calculated risk than gambling. Mm -hmm. And then I know if I can take a commercial that sounds that way, I can start the process of setting this campaign up as a bully pulpit for that particular person to get into someone's head so that when people think about plumbers, they will only think, for example, about that individual. That's right. And so that you wouldn't have to Google plumbers. You already know who to call. 472 leak. Exactly. <laughs> One of your examples. Exactly. <laughs> that was an awesome story that you told about. Mm. They, they had like their full family name that was some ridiculously long jumbled web address, yes. dot net. And you said well, what's your phone number? And they go, well, we secured 472-LEAK. And you go, well, that's now your website. Call us at 472-LEAK or just go to 472-LEAK.com. And that was available for like $9 a year. Yeah, 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 right. It was unbelievable. It's genius. All right, I know we want to wrap it up. Any Austin story or growing up that you'd want to tell or have you told it all already? My high school years... You know, for some of the, some people, their high school years are the best years of their life. I wouldn't say that, but I would say my experience uh, at the University of Texas was one of the best things I ever did. I got through college playing drums in Bob Wills type, Hank Williams type, old style country band. I worked at Shakey's Pizza Parlor, and I used to help a guy on the weekends who was an old Austin broadcaster named Packer Jack Wallace. And Packer had a huge beard, and there was the Uncle Jay show with him and Packer, and Packer kind of looked like a cowboy. It was a kid's show, and people would be on that show. And I was Pepperoni Paul. <laughs> I'm thinking about resurrecting that name now that I'm in my 60s. Nice. And, you know. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I'd work with Packer, and Packer would tell me things about radio and television and got me really interested in that kind of work. And at the same time, we had a piano player and a guitarist that would show up and play the old shaky-style music. And soon, Kent Finley got permission to start playing country. And I played drums. I was 15, and I started playing drums with Kent at Shaky's Pizza Parlor over by Reagan High School. And then then this whole country thing really blew up here in Austin with mm -hmm. Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings, the Armadillo World Headquarters, and country rock was in. And then the Willie Nelson Fourth of July picnic. Kent got smart and hired Willie's dad as our bass player. Hmm. And Pop Nelson was not, he owned Willie's Pool Hall on Lamar, gone, of course. Pop Nelson was a great guy, terrible bass player. So we had two bass players. And that, like some bands had two drummers. We had two bass players. One of them was this guy from a band called Texas Crude named Rick. Looked just like Hoss Cartwright. And he was a fabulous bass player. So what he'd do is he'd turn Pop's amp down, and Pop thought it was him making all those hot licks or whatever. But the trick worked because two things happened. One, Willie Nelson showed up while we were playing at the Broken Spoke and sat in with us. Ah, cool. Which was great. It should have been, I was 18. It should have been the best night of my life. But when Willie got up, I needed to go to the restroom. 
Oh, no. And Willie Nelson has a reputation for having a hollow leg that he never has to go. And he just keeps playing and playing. And I mean, I think I sped up every song. I thought, seriously, what if I just wet my own pants? <laughs> you know, I mean, oh, it'll run into my boots. And, and oh, it was terrible. But the other thing that happened was because Pop was in the band. On the Saturday night at the 1976 Willie Nelson Fourth of July picnic, in Gonzales, Texas. People referred to that concert as the Altamont of country music concerts, mm. like the Altamont show in California where the Rolling Stones and the Hells Angels and the deaths that occurred there and all of the drugs and mm. all of it. It was a, a, a tragedy, you know. Mm. Well, that happened at that 1976 Willie Nelson. 80,000 people showed up, far more than they expected. People were dying of drug overdoses. Somebody drowned. Uh, people got stabbed. People got shot. It was horrible. And then the second day, Sunday, it rained so hard that the rigging above the stage collapsed, dumped a ton of water into Leon Russell's white Steinway piano. and So they had to cancel the Sunday. But we got to play on the Saturday when the sun finally went down. It was brutal like now. And then the sun went down and when they turned the stage lights on for the first time on the Saturday, it was us! That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. It was uh, So one time I got to play drums for 80,000 people that's amazing Uh, it was great and then we kicked around and we played the texas oklahoma arkansas and we'd go to these clubs and i'd be studying for class sitting on a fender amplifier with a flashlight going through a media law textbook i did live at a place called the ark which was a student co-op so everybody had a job i was monday lunch cook i cooked for 200 people this place started the punk rock movement. The club called Raoul's that used to be down on like 21st at Guadalupe or 29th at Guadalupe, that, that, that kind of the area. And we had at the Ark, it was an old sorority house where Farrah Fawcett lived. No way. And so there was the Farrah Fawcett room, and we knew the guy that lived in her old room. And the the building was U-shaped, and there was the common area, two-story, and then these hallways, and then a pool in the middle outside. And so you had two halls that were called moderate halls, that people would play their music at a moderate volume level. Moderate halls, they called it. And back then, there were two albums that had just come out that summer. One was Never Mind the Bullocks, Here's the Sex Pistols, and the other was the Rolling Stones' Some Girls. And you heard this music constantly. People would put their stereo speakers out so that you'd hear it out at the pool. Those two albums, we had a beer machine. It was a converted Coke machine filled with Shiner. For 25 cents, you could buy a Shiner beer. And then on the other side of the building were two other halls. The bottom half was the loud hall, and on top of the loud hall was the quiet hall. (laughs) But nobody wanted to move. So people in the quiet hall are always being assaulted by the sex pistols, you know, in the loud hall. And some of the quiet people would say things, but they were just mousy, or they wouldn't have been in the quiet hall to begin (laughs) with. Right. I just... I remember those times of just all the work activity, and I was taking, you know, 15 hours, and I worked at a men's clothing store between classes on the drag. I never had to worry about a place to park. The entire time I went to the University of Texas, I parked right behind 24th at Guadalupe, and then I walked across Guadalupe to the communication building. 
Cool. I also was a waiter at two different restaurants on alternating nights. One was called the Treehouse. Very, very popular. It was the nicest place in town, right across the street from the old Naval Observatory building, which is now, it's on Barton Springs Road, very close to Barton Springs Pool, just a little bit east of, of Lamar. Uh, is where the treehouse was. And then another one in the 26 Door Shopping Center called Los Tres Bobos. And if you want to find out about people, be a waiter at a restaurant mm-hmm. and uh, you'll find out all about people. Mm-hmm. So I did those jobs. I played drums on weekends in San Marcos at the Cheatham Street Warehouse with my bands. I had two, three of those. Also, I was the midnight to six disc jockey. So one semester, oh, I took 15 were. hours. Hmm. I was a midnight to six disc jockey at Coke FM, which was a popular radio station yeah. in Austin at the time. I worked at two different restaurants, and I played drums on weekends. So I had five jobs, took 15 hours, and passed with C's. I was proud of that period That's of amazing. time. And it was a fascinating time to be in Austin with all of that music. And I got a house on Travis Heights Boulevard as close to the Armadillo World Headquarters as I could live. Hmm. I could walk home if I had to, but I spent so much time there and it just it was a magical time to to be alive and it's just kind of bad now there's a club called signs or something like that and they have all the signs of all the cool places that used to be in austin and now they're all gone and you know it's i haven't been there yet but people say it's kind of bittersweet i mean oh it's great to see the old nighthawk sign again but it's kind of sad that's in this museum instead of the restaurants. I still remember those days and then going on into what I thought was always an exciting business, the the show business, yeah, the radio and television. And then I was traveling so much, but without having to haul all those drums and stuff around. Mm-hmm. You know, and just a briefcase with a computer. And now, you know, during the pandemic, uh, most of this stuff was online. And yeah, so yeah they say that rock stars need drugs to recreate the feeling of what 80,000 screaming fans give them. Do you ever have those moments where those memories of these magical times linger in your mind and you think, how do I recreate that? You know, I got to tell you something that I remember sometimes when I was speaking to large groups, let's say Broadcast Association in uh, Michigan or something, and I would have an out-of-body experience where I would see myself talking to all these people and listening to them go, ha, 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 ha. Ha 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 ha! Ah ha ha ha! You know, and and this kind of thing, and then that I'm on such automatic pilot, and I just read the room, and I just know what to say and when to say it, and I think that nowadays you've got to entertain people, or they don't pick up on anything, and so I never was a big fan of PowerPoint presentations because people are too busy watching the screen and reading instead of paying attention to you. Mm-hmm. So I get up there, I get up on them. I made everything look and sound like it was an event just for now, you know, that this is a happening and we're all here. There you have it. Paul Whelan, the man, the myth, the legend. What a pleasure to sit down with Paul and hear his amazing stories. Go get his book on Amazon right now. The link is in the podcast description. This is Brian Estes signing off with people down the street you should meet. See ya. Subscribe if you want to.